Hello and welcome to this APW Property Podcast, your weekly oral injection of interesting property knowledge relating to the UK buy-to-let market from an expat perspective. We aim to provide you with a broad range of facts and figures that will help you make your own investment choices. And if you need advice, APW are always on hand to guide you further. Today it's a City Watch episode and we're going to be taking a gander at the city of Exeter with APW's top in-house expert, Callum Williamson. Hi Callum. Hello Paul, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? Yeah, very well thanks. Sat in not so sunny Kuala Lumpur. It's raining, it's pretty miserable, it's actually pretty similar to the UK but about 30 degrees warmer but raining. Uh, well, I could do with the 30 degrees warmer, that would be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. For sure, I shouldn't complain. So uh, well let's start with the basics Callum, can you tell us where Exeter is? Okay well let's flick open the bible of the internet, uh, Wikipedia, which tells us that Exeter is a cathedral city in the county town of Devon, uh, southwest of in- England. It is on the river X, about 38 miles northeast of Plymouth and 65 miles southwest of Bristol. Well, thank you very much, Wiki. Um, we looked at Bristol in another podcast, which you can find in our back catalogue in all your usual podcast places. Uh, but to give you a bit more context, Bristol is 117 miles west of London. And then if you carry on southwest, you get to the county town of Devon, uh, which is the city of Exeter. That's it. It's the pointy bit of England uh, that reaches out to the Atlantic coast. The only bit further west is Cornwall. Okay. Uh, well, let's sprinkle in some fun facts about Exeter. Um, I'll start us off. In August 1682, three women were the last to be tried for witchcraft-related activities. Uh, six days after being found guilty, they were hanged just outside Exeter. I, mean, I remember reading something about this where the the test was... You know, you were thrown in to a river, and if you sunk, you weren't a witch, and if you floated, you were a witch and you were killed. So either way, you were killed, basically. It seems a bit counterintuitive, really. I don't know. Is, is that is there any historical accuracy to that, Paul? Do you know? I don't know. It's it's the, the test they use in Monty Python. She's a witch! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, okay. I can't say about its historical accuracy. I don't know. All right. Okay, well, another... Another uh, fun fact, famous people that come from Exeter include J.K. Rowling. That's interesting. I thought she was Scottish. Tommy Cooper, Chris Martin, Coldplay. I think that's the Coldplay guy. William Temple. Good. William Temple and Joss Stone. J.K. Rowling actually studied French and classics at the University of Exeter. Yes, so she wasn't born there. I think she was born in Gloucestershire and she now lives in Scotland. Well, she probably lives all over. I guess she's got houses all over. But yes, uh, all those famous people came from Exeter. Exeter was first occupied in 250 BC, apparently. Blimey, okay. The oldest hotel in Britain is a good one. The Royal Clarence Hotel, which was built in 1769 and has some parts that date back to the 1500s. So that's in Exeter. Uh, It's safest place in England to drive a car. Turns out that the roads here are as much as 50% safer than those in the rest of the country. It's a weird fact. Okay, and and another interesting fact about Exeter, I once had a rugby match there uh, when I was at university and it was a five-hour drive away and it was also the same time that exams were on. So um, we ended up going down there without a full team, but we still won. 
So um, everyone was too nervous studying for their exams. So I always remember that five-hour journey was very depressing all the way down to Exeter. Okay. There's an anthology of Anglo-Saxon poetry that's over a thousand years old. It's called the Exeter Book and it's kept in the city's Cathedral Library and is one of the four major Anglo-Saxon literature codices. Uh, and it came, contains a lot of poems and riddles. There's one poem from, oh, riddle from the Exeter book. Uh, I am a wondrous creature, a joy to women, a help to neighbours. I harm none of the city dwellers except my, for my killer. My base is steep and high. I stand in a bed, shaggy somewhere beneath. Sometimes ventures the very beautiful daughter of a churl, a maid, proud in mind, so that she grabs hold of me, rubs me to redness, ravages my head, forces me into a fastness. Immediately she feels my meeting, the one who confines me, the curly-locked woman. Wet will be that eye. Um, so that's an early example of double entendre, because um, uh, obviously the riddle is talking about an onion, uh, but uh, it's trying to make you think about a penis. Well, so I mean, it's, <laughs> it says a lot about your mind, Paul. No, that is what I was thinking. I thought that was a bit of a uh, fruity one for the podcast. But there we go. That's uh, it's well, mine. as uh, someone uh, said, it's about it's the riddle ages. You see, they bawdy, bawdy and ribald. Um, OK, well, so uh, let's turn to history. I'd like to thank uh, Tim Lambert for his work on the history of Exeter on localhistories.org. So we heard there were signs of occupation from around 250 BC, but as a town, the story begins as often is the case with the Romans. Uh, they built a wooden fort on a hill near the River X at the first fordable point of the river. Uh, they were making sure that they could suppress the Celts. Uh, who were down there in Cornwall. Uh, but the Celts didn't put up too much of a resistance. Um, X, by the way, is the Celtic name for water, apparently. By 75 AD, the Roman soldiers had moved on, but a town had sprung up alongside the fort. The town was named Isca by the Romans. Uh, there was a marketplace, public baths, some Roman villas. Uh, but this was frontier land for the Romans, not very prosperous at that. Um, they built a wall around the town, though, and made it the admin centre for southwest England. Uh, the Romans left in 407 AD, and the town declined until the arrival of the Saxons, who built a monastery in the town in 680 AD. Uh, Saxon towns are called Siesta uh, or Siesta, uh, so this was ex Siesta. Uh, the Danes, who were busy raiding England, captured the town in 876 and spent the winter there. Uh, then Exeter became one of Alfred the Great's stronghold towns with a mint and weekly markets and they built a high street and sold off plots of land beside it and the town grew. King Athelstan repaired the walls in 928. Uh, the Danes uh, laid siege to it in 1001 uh, but ran away when the English army approached. Uh, but 1003, a traitorous town ruler or reeve called Hugh let the Danes in through a gate and they sacked the town. But it recovered. A bishop set up there or moved his seat from Crediton in 1050 and they built a cathedral. By 1066, the population was around 2,500, which was a goodly size back in the day. Uh, in 1068, the Exeter folk were a bit rebellious and the Normans laid siege. Uh, this is a kind of theme for Exeter about laying siege. So the Normans laid siege unsuccessfully, but they struck a deal uh, with the townsfolk nonetheless, and William the Conqueror agreed to leave them alone, and they agreed to submit to Norman rule. Uh, but William built a castle just to keep an eye on them, um, on a red hill, or Mont Rouge uh, in the old French 
Uh, so it later became known as Rougemont Castle. Uh, in 1114, the Normans rebuilt the cathedral, uh, which was demolished in 1260 and then rebuilt again. Uh, and it now features the longest uninterrupted vaulted ceiling in England. Uh, wool was the important product, which was pounded by mill-driven hammers. Uh, so they built a weir and they, they had all of these uh, water-powered hammers pounding the, the wool. Uh, it was then dyed and exported from the ports and wine was the import for the posh people at the time. Uh, street names were fairly logical and you can see them when you Google drive around um, Exeter. Goldsmiths lived on Goldsmith Street. A field was called a hay, so you get northern hay. Uh, that's the field to the north. Princess hay, bon hay, bon hay from the French good, so good hay. Uh, southern hay and so on. Uh, so it's a good way to navigate the old streets. By 1500, the town had a population of around 8,000. Wool and tanning were still thriving, enough to build a canal around the weir so ships could come to the docks. Uh, Henry VIII closed the priory. With the, the religious orders had moved in, the Augustinians and uh, the Greyfriars and Blackfriars. But Henry VIII closed them, and the town survived another siege from rebel forces, Again, in the Civil War, the Royalists laid siege to a pro-Parliament Exeter and had to surrender, but the Parliamentarians took the town back in 1646. And at the end of that century, travel writer Celia Fiennes said of the town, a town very well built, the streets are well paved, spacious streets and a vast trade are carried on. There is an incredible quality of surges, that's the kind of cloth made in the town. In the 18th century, it got a newspaper, bank, assembly rooms, street oil lamps, pavements and a new county court. But one writer said, Exeter is an ancient city and has been so slow in adopting the modern improvements, a paving and cleaning of streets, that it has the unsavoury odour of Lisbon. One great street runs through the city from east to west. The rest consists of dirty lanes. The streets are not flagged, neither and are they, are they regularly cleaned as in other parts of the kingdom. Uh, so that's one travel writer's view. 1801, the population was 20,000, and the Exeter was the sixth largest town in England. Uh, but the Industrial Revolution put paid to that because the North uh, expanded much, much more quickly than Exeter. And by 1860, it was the 60th largest town. Uh, but uh, it's still the North and East gates to the town had been demolished to allow the city to expand because uh, a large part of the Roman walls still exist, about 60, uh, two-thirds of it, I think. Traditional industries of wool and tanning declined in importance. Uh, 60,000 people uh, lived there by 1914. Trams, uh, they started those and then they st stopped them shortly after the First World War. Uh, Exeter Airport opened in 1937. But the town really suffered in World War II when uh, Luftwaffe heavily bombed the town centre in revenge at some RAF strikes. Uh, 1,500 houses were destroyed, 2,700 houses were severely damaged, six churches went. Uh, the city centre was rebuilt in the, in the 1950s with a new university in 1955. Uh, the Northcote Theatre was built in 1967. And today, most of the workforce in Exeter is employed in service industries such as tourism, education and public administration. Uh, meanwhile, the Guildhall Shopping Centre was built in 77. The Harlequins Shopping Centre followed in 1986. In the 21st century, Exeter is still a flourishing city. 2004, the Met Office moved their business there. And in 2007, a new shopping centre opened at Princess Hay. Uh, 2022, the population of Exeter was 129,000. Uh, so let's have some pie. 
uh, or population infrastructure and employment. Uh, Callum, uh, tell us about the population. Sure, I'll go into that. Just to quickly recap for anyone that's new to the podcast, why we talk about PI, population infrastructure employment. It's just a great, easy uh, framework or tool for sort of analysing a property investment location. You know, if it's got good levels of population, good infrastructure to get them to and from the E, which is the employment, then chances are it'll be a good place to buy. So let's have a look at the population. So as you say, 129,000 in 2022 uh, and around 131,000 currently. Uh, In the wider sort of commutable area, you're looking at around 470,000 residents, so quite a large number. There's 35,000 people commuting in daily with the average city centre footfall of 1.3 million per month. You've got growth forecast in the population, which is positive, uh, up to 135,000 in 2025 and 140,000 in 2030, so it's growing. Your average age is 44 or 44.2 to be precise. 58% of people are aged between 16 and 64, so a good working population there. Uh, the university itself, which Exeter is pretty famous for, uh, over 125,000 alumni in 183 countries providing our academic community of staff, students and visiting researchers with a truly global experience. So that's from their website, I believe. Uh, yes, probably. Um, <laughs> so uh, the infrastructure, uh, planes, trains and automobiles, I'll, I'll uh, dive into that. Uh, it's 2,042 uh train to London Uh, obviously Bristol is shorter than that because it's just uh, the first stop from Exeter I guess Exeter to Bristol is quite close and from Bristol you've got all the points up west Um, you've got uh, daily international flights um, and you've got internal flights Logan Air connects Exeter to UK airports Aberdeen Edinburgh Norwich Newcastle Jersey Uh, the holiday flights some of those are the daily international ones with uh, Fly Exeter, uh, they go to all sorts of destinations around the Med, uh, and, you know, Greece and Lanzarote and Alicante and Spain and stuff, Portugal. The airport's just five miles from the city centre. Road access is the A30 and the M5. It's uh, Exeter is sort of pretty much the end of the M5. Uh, connects it to Bristol, Cardiff and points along the northwest and stuff. Buses and coaches for travel into Devon and its environs. So employment. Sure. Back over to me. The Met Office, as we mentioned earlier, moved to Exeter in 2004. Other big employers there are the university itself, the NHS. Devon County Council has its offices there. Uh, I saw figures from Nomis saying that 69,300 people are employed in Exeter, Exeter, with 8,000 people being self-employed. 63% of those are in managerial or professional roles, which is a good number. You've got Exeter Science Park, Southwest Centre of Activity for Science, Technology, Engineering, Maths and Medicine even. So, you know, sort of uh, high-tech industries that are well paid. The Exeter Chamber of Commerce is pushing for tech companies to join Tech Southwest, which is a business support programme. There's a bit of a common theme we're seeing in lots of up-and-coming cities, you know, pushing for tech investment. I've got a new innovation hub which is open to the city centre, which is being driven by the uh, the Uni of Exeter. And if we look at the last, the latest UK City Tracker report by Owen Mitchell, they say that Exeter was expected to be the city with the fastest growth in the year to Q4 2023. 
Exeter is set to be resilient to the cost of living crisis recession with 1.3% annual GVA growth forecast, which is pretty positive. Uh, this is up from 0.9% growth estimated in Q4 22. So this puts Exeter in eighth place on the city tracker table for GVA growth in that quarter, which is, again, pretty good. Exeter is also expected to see annual employment growth of 1.7%. Uh, in recent years, there have been large infrastructure investments, as we've sort of just run through there, and the city's prioritising carbon reduction for investment in the future. And they're also working towards this, you know, net zero extra 2030 plan, which is identifying projects to needed to meet the ambition of a carbon neutral city. So that's going to be a 200 million pound investment. Yeah, you've got um, you've got a couple of historic buildings as well, um, as well as this sort of modern stuff. So St Nicholas Priory, which is Exeter's oldest building, was originally a Benedictine monastery, and it has got a, a museum of medieval life. Uh, Killerton House was an 18th century historic house and gardens, and has a fashion collection dating back to 1690. And uh, then we then we come to the city plan. So it's currently the local plan is currently under consultation. Uh, so they've got the drafts out and they've, they're consulting on it. They're calling for um, uh, development sites. So that would be an interesting thing to keep an eye on uh, because some of the brownfield sites, uh, they want to build on brownfield sites and some of those are going to be developed uh, with new housing schemes, you know, anything up to a 1,000 on the larger sites and, you know, 200 on the smaller sites. But those are going to be the kind of things that uh, when they get developed they'll be looking for uh, investment and, and buyers for the new flats so the council's vision is in the period up to 2040 and uh, there's a lot of it but it's still um, undergoing sort of drafting but you can find it online just look up Exeter plan or Exeter city plan I found this from the uh, university website uh, set in the heart of the beautiful Devon countryside Exeter is consistently rated as one of the best places to live, work and study in the UK. Exeter is a lively, vibrant place with a strong independent sector. There are boutique shops along the high street stores, quirky cafes peppered amongst independent restaurants using locally sourced produce. A safe and walkable city, you can find everything you need on your doorstep. At Devon capital city, Exeter is just a short drive, cycle, bus or train journey away from the beautiful coastline and impressive national parks. Uh, so uh, what else have you got to add about the city, Callum? No, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it's not um, somewhere I know heaps and heaps on, to be fair. But, you know, I was doing my research for all this. And we quite often come across clients who will ask us to, you know, to source some property in Exeter. So we have sort of uh, bought properties there for clients before. But I think to summarise some of the points we've discussed there, you know, I think you've got, good economic growth there it's experienced good growth in recent years and you know it is known for its economy and and its sort of high-tech economy and its education i think the employment there as we've just gone through is exciting you know university the hospitals other large employers so those are two big ticks transport links again as we've discussed well placed so that's all of the pie cultural and historical appeal you know it's uh, it is a beautiful place to live the quality of life is great, as you've just suggested there with that clip from the uni's website. And, um, you know, it's one of those sort of solid locations, I think. You know, the pie all checks out. It's in the south, but it's not as expensive as, you know, 
the southeast, for example, so you can get a, a slightly higher yield there. So um, pretty solid location, I think. What uh, what else do you think? Yeah, no, it seemed like that to, to me. And, and obviously, from my own property perspective, I, I've always liked uh, university towns, you know, university towns and cities. They provide that extra up and down the generations for the population, which is what keeps refreshing a city. Uh, if you don't have a university, you can then suddenly turn into a, a bit of a retirement town and, and it can just get a little bit uh, literally sclerotic or ossified or it can just kind of decline a little bit because the older you know the people get older and they they do less they shop less and you know it becomes harder it's not revived uh so university towns are always good and extra seemed to to tick a lot a lot of boxes as you say yeah i was just gonna say you know it's um like with all of these things you've got to if I'm if I'm buying somewhere in in the south, I would be more inclined to look at somewhere like Exeter than the southeast because, as I say, you know the price point's better, and I think it makes a slightly better investment case. But with all these things, do do your own research and do a bit of digging because not all of Exeter is going to be the same. You know, some uh, suburbs will be better than others, some streets will be better than others, and that will depend on things like schools or your reasons for buying. You know, is it young working? working class people you know you're looking for one or two bed flats or is it houses because you're trying to target young families so you know do all your research and have a a plan in place before you consider any property you know but get that together just to just to reiterate because we love banging on about doing your research and getting your goals on the APW property podcast okay well uh, we'll try and reach out to an extra estate agent who can who can uh, take us through the different neighborhoods as well um so uh, that's it for today um thanks Callum Thanks for having me, Paul. It's been lovely catching up, as usual. And uh, thanks to Emma Holton, our brilliant producer from Brilliant Audio. Uh, My name is Paul Shearer. Have a lovely day. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series produced for APW by Emma Holton at Brilliant Audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If you didn't, keep stumm. You can find more episodes in all your usual podcast places.